It can be really difficult for women to find reliable nutritional supplements to really help them reach their goals. About nine years ago, Mom Sanity was born, and my business partner Debbie and I have spent the last five or six years focused on creating and developing really great-tasting, nutritionally clean, dairy-free, gluten-free, junk-free, artificial-free products to serve women and their families. At Mom Sanity, we make dairy-free protein powder called Mom Fuel, clean BCAAs to help energize your day, and craving cocoa to help you satisfy those nighttime cravings without devouring the pantry. I welcome you to check everything out at shop.mymomsanity.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm super excited to welcome my guest. It's the first time that he's joining us on Healthy Discourse, and his name is Hank Allen. He is the son of my friend, Abby, and his story has been inspiring me and my family and many others over the past couple of years. And I'm so great, grateful to have you today, Hank. Hey, everyone. <laughs> so, Hank, um, some of the people that are listening to our podcast may know about you and bits and pieces of your story, but I would love for you to kind of take us back to the beginning and talk about who you are and kind of life before your accident and life after your accident and just kind of bring us up to speed to where you are today and then we'll dive into the nitty gritty. Yeah. So my name is Hank Allen, I'm 17 years old. Um, so from a young age, from about four years old, I, I was always in the pool. I was a competitive swimmer. I swam for multiple different year round teams and during the summer as well. Um, I was, I was very active as a kid and, uh, I still am today, but, um, I also took interest in gymnastics and freestyle trampolining. Um, and so let's see, let's go to the date of the accident. Okay. It was June 9th. I think it was a Tuesday. Um, it was a normal day. Uh, I had just gotten back from the pool and, um, I go back, I, I, I went to go get on my trampoline. Um, I was, I was practicing some tricks that I've, I've, I've normally done before and they were pretty easy for me. Um, but I just, I misjudged this particular trick and I landed on my neck and broke my, or dislocated my C5, C6 vertebrae. And initially going into the hospital, I thought I was going to have a surgery and it was going to, I was going to wake up and be walking again. Mm -hmm. Um, but that wasn't the case. You know, the doctors came in, my mom and dad came in and they said, you know, more than likely there, there's a very slim chance, but it's not, I don't think it's possible. You'll be walking again. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, 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 it took a few days to kind of take that in. Um, and for those first few days, I woke up with panic attacks. You know, the best way for me to explain it is that you have all this balled up energy and emotions and it all has to come out at some point. Sure. 
And so I, I would wake up in, in the middle, middle of the night and that I would have those panic attacks. Um, what would you say, you know, in those early days when you were really happy, I mean, I don't, for lack of a better term, coming to terms with the acceptance of what had happened. I mean, you know, your life before was so heavily active and then here you are unable to walk. And like, how did your mind, it kind of, what were the stages, I guess, you went through to come to the place that you were ready to move forward and and live this life with everything you've got and use this to inspire and to keep going like what, what was that early part like I guess let's start there I think for the first couple of weeks um I was just, I was very confused didn't know what the next step was you know going from being active every day getting lots of exercise and then being stuck in a hospital bed was very, very challenging mentally. Um, but as time went on, I found out there are other there are other possibilities for people with um, disabilities. Um, there's adaptive sports programs. There's job opportun opportunities, and you know I wasn't familiar with these things, and I just I thought that I was going to be stuck in a bed for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, what, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. I think one thing that definitely helped me out was realizing that there are other people who have it worse than you do. Mm -hmm. um, the first two weeks we were in the hospital, we were, our room was white, right next to a helicopter pad. And about two or three times a day, someone would come in on a helicopter and they would be, well, we would, we would say a little prayer for them and their family. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because you never know what situation they're in. And um, you kind of have to put yourself in other people's shoes. Yeah. That's such great perspective and it's so important. And, but so, um, difficult for us and I think generally too especially here in the United States we live such lives of comfort that when we shift our perspective that way regardless of our circumstances it can be so mm -hmm. such a great reminder of it could always be so much worse right yeah that's so that's so encouraging though um were there any big moments that you had in those early couple of months, maybe either that were just incredibly challenging to hand to mentally deal with, or were like light bulbs that were like, okay, life is going to be good. Like this, I can go on and I can do this. And these are, um, I'm making steps to create a life that is going to be every bit, if not more fulfilling than what I thought my life would look like, right? Yes, yeah, so when I got to rehab, um, so having this type of disability, you have to learn how to take care of your body and also move, move it around in certain ways to get certain tasks done. So one of the first things I 
worked on was um, uh, bed to chair transfers and bed uh, ch chair to bed transfers. Um, being able to lift up my body and scooch my body over into bed. Um, that was one of the hardest things I've worked on. And it may seem like a very small thing, but to me it was very, really big. And it gave me a, a, a feeling of independence that, you know, I'm able to do this certain task by myself. Right. And also being introduced to adaptive sports mm -hmm. um, because, you know, initially I thought that there, there were no options. There were no options for um, at sports such as that. And uh, all these, there's endless opportunities for people with disabilities. And I think that kind of lifted me up and I could, I could see the future ahead of me. Tell us about some of those adaptive sports that you participated in to date. I know that knowing, mm -hmm. you know, all of the different types of activities that you love, I'm sure you're not done trying them yet, but tell us a little bit about what you've, what you've participated in so far. So right now I'm doing wheelchair rugby. Um, I do that once a week. And last summer I actually did water skiing. So they have you in this sort of cage, like, chair and there's two water skis on each side and then you have a boat behind you pulling you and in, 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 in front of you um and that for me just felt very like freeing and um it just kind of gave me a feeling of adrenaline that I did that, that I got from swimming and doing flips on the trampoline before. Um, and that, that was kind of, a good feeling. Yeah. That kind of thrill of the, yeah. that, um, high of these, you know, challenging adventures and that kind of thing. Can totally there, also wheelchair basketball, wheelchair ice hockey, and, and pretty much anything you can think of um snow skiing even mm, yeah who have been who have been some of your inspirations not necessarily just athletically but just some of the people that have kind of been role models for you as you've been along this journey is there anyone that jumps out that you're like that person has really just encouraged me um I would say my friend McKenna she is also in a wheelchair um she does everything on her own. She drives a car. She goes to college. Um, and to see her be so independent just gives me some hope. Yeah. You know, I, I eventually I will get to that point. And it, it doesn't happen in one day. It takes time and it gets frustrating. Um, but I've learned to be patient with my body. Mm -hmm. And this past year and a half, we've spent a lot of time trying to fix certain things because the first year, your your body is out of whack from spinal shock, and there's a lot of things you have to learn to deal with. Um, but there are there's 
you can fix things to a certain extent. Um, when it comes to the walking part, there are some trials going on right now to help improve function, but those trials, they, it's, it's a big commitment and there comes a point where you have to decide, are you going to chase the what ifs? Mm -hmm. No, there's a chance that I may get function back. And there, there's a very good chance that I may not get function back, but I've kind of decided that I'm, I'm happy with the function that I have and I'm going to live life the way it is. I love that. So it's what I hear from you is you're at a place of, and, and I don't think we ever accomplish this as humans in general, but generally you're, you, you're at a place of acceptance and looking forward to the the maybes but not clinging to them so tightly that that's the only thing you can put your hope in instead of saying i have hope right here where i am and that's such a great message to all of us yeah so you kind of just touched on this but what would you say what is how has your injury changed your perspective on life and what's most important and what we're here for and how we can be used regardless of circumstances? Um, I've realized that, you know, family is really important. Having a really big support group, a good, a good group of friends that to have to stick with you. Um, because this happened, um, I think, it was right after lockdown or during lockdown. And that can contribute to, you know, this type of injury being very isolating. Um, so having, having older mentors to talk to and a, a good group of friends really, really helped me. But like I said, when I was in the hospital, I, I had to put my, I had to put myself in other people's shoes people who are in way worse condition and it helped me realize how lucky I really am mm -hmm. to be, you know, I may not be able to walk, but mentally I'm all still here. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. That's awesome. I appreciate that a lot. Um, You've, you've shared a couple of things, but I think just like anything in, in the world that is um, not super common, we generally, as, as humans, become, I don't want to use the word fearful, but kind of, we kind of want to avoid talking about things that are uncomfortable yeah. or that we don't know. And I would love for you to just share with our audience some of the things that you just kind of along this journey have wished that people understood better about your injury and also how to support you. But what, what would you say would be the, a couple of things about the realities of this injury that are misunderstood or just not, not necessarily misunderstood, just not common knowledge that people just don't generally know about. I think one of the first things able-bodied people kind of think about 
when they see a person with a disability or especially someone who's in a wheelchair, you know, I think this is a common misconception that the, the worst problem is that we can't walk. But if you ask 80 to 90%, 80 to 90% of people in wheelchairs will tell you that the bowel and bladder functions, the stuff, the internally is way more important than being able to walk. Uh, if, if I could choose, I would rather have bladder and bowel function back than having the ability to walk. Mm -hmm. um, because during, during that first year, those are m the most common type of issues you'll have. Mm -hmm. um, blood pressure, bed sores, um, UTIs, things like that. Because when you're when you're using a catheter four to six times a day, that's introducing bacteria and things like that. And it's, it's something you have to deal with. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that all these problems come with having a spinal cord injury. Right. So I'm guessing what I, what I would understand, what I'm thinking is, you know, we, you often you'll see this most external thing, right? And this is kind of what we just do in general is what does it look like on the outside, right? And not yeah. understanding yeah. that the things that are happening on the inside are actually so much more challenging. While yes, I'm dealing with this not being able to walk, but what is, you know, takes I'm sure so much of your time and energy and strength and I'm trying to address these internal things that make things a little more difficult than what we probably even understand. So, um, what are some important ways, you know, you talked about having a good group of friends and I know you have an amazing family and great support system being a teenager. What are some ways that you would love for your peers to come alongside you? Maybe things that have been really helpful to you, or maybe things that have been a little harder as far as peer groups. Well, the, the group of friends that I've had all, all my life, pretty much since elementary school, they they didn't treat me any differently than before. Um, and one thing I'd like to do is raise awareness to other people that, you know, it may feel awkward to go up and talk to someone who's in a wheelchair, but we're, we're, just the same as everyone else is. And uh, I think people feel awkward around s someone with a disability. Um, and sometimes it can make you feel invisible, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's, I think a really great point. And I think, um, like I, we touched on earlier, I think sometimes when we're, uncomfortable because of the we because of the things we don't know yeah we tend to avoid and that's not something as a person who wants to be able to meet people where they are and love them that I want to do and I think in order to do that though we've got to be really aware of I our want, natural tendencies one thing I've learned is you know to be very outgoing because if I shut myself off and I don't go out and talk to other people, mm -hmm. then they 
they may not feel comfortable coming up to me mm-hmm. and just giving people the knowledge and about spinal cord injuries kind of makes them realize that we're we're all the same so mm-hmm. I love that well let's just pause there because we're talking about peer groups one of the one of the um situations that made me very proud of you Hank was when you went to speak to our local school board about their masking um, requirements and explain to me first of all before we talk about the specific situation um, why for someone like you it is important that you not have something covering your nose and mouth mm-hmm. So the way my injury is, my, my diaphragm was affected. Um, so for the first two to three months in the hospital, I had elevated bicarb levels. And I, I still do now to a certain extent. And having a mask on for prolonged periods of time can make it hard to breathe. And I just feel, feel kind of... Fatigued is what I was trying to say. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, from what I understand, when yeah. you were able to go back to school, which should be an exciting time, right? Like that's a huge milestone. Yes. Um, you initially weren't able to get an exemption from your physician. Is that right? And yes. were they kind to you in that denial, or not so much? Um. So. Yeah, we went to my um, doc, my 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 doctor at Novant to try to get the mask waiver, and she didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, she basically said to me that I I don't feel comfortable writing you this waiver. I wouldn't want you to go 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 to school and kill somebody, is what she said to me. And I just, I couldn't believe it. Right. It's shocking to me that after everything you've been to, you're finally ready to go back to school, that instead of being given the opportunities and helping it be as easy for you as possible, that instead you're told that you're going to kill people. So it's very wrong to use fear. to um, change people's opinions and uh, make them feel like if this person were to die from COVID, then it's your fault. You know, it it, it could be anybody. Yeah. Well, and I mean, arguably too, like how is that advocating for you when you're already, you're going back to school, you've not been there. It's a, you know, you're there in a whole different circumstance than before. And instead of being your advocate, it's like not the complete opposite, but then you went on and were able to get a medical exemption. Right. Okay. And then what happened when you were at school? So my first period class, um, I went to the room and there was a glass box over in the corner uh, for me. Um, and my teacher kind of called me out on it. What she said was, okay, guys, we all need to protect Hank. Um, you know, so I, 
she put me over in the corner, kind of isolated me. And that's, you can't do that, you know, especially someone who has a disability. It just makes it even more isolating. Now, I'm sorry, go ahead. That, that was the way it was for several classes. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to be clear, you did not ever ask for anyone to protect you by creating a what appeared to be, but I'm sure was not a sterile environment for you behind plexiglass, which separated you from your peers. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I actually didn't hear very well either behind that glass box. So mm-hmm. that made it even more challenging. So I think it's just, I, I know the reason I want to share that with our audience is as adults who are making decisions, whether you are a medical provider or you are a teacher or administrator or a peer, we have got to start thinking and about people and meeting people where they are and our kids and what they're experiencing mentally. And I can't even fathom the justification for that after everything that you've been through that you come back to school and that's how we're going to treat you. I just can't fathom the, where to me, it's just, we our lack of critical thinking and ability to um, have true compassion rather than fear, you know, instilling fear in you that you're going to be the one to go infect people. And then flipping it on its head at school and saying, oh, now we have to protect Hank because he's not going to wear a mask because he can't. So we are, we're going to put him back over in this corner. I just don't understand how we've gotten so far away from actually meeting people where they are again. I also want to mention, yeah. um, Last summer when some of the mask mandates were lifted, you can kind of see that fear in people, you know, especially you know, my little sister, I think it was a couple of days after the mask mandate was lifted, we went on into public and we were, we were getting ready to go inside of a restaurant and she put her mask on. Um, and my mom said, you don't need to do that anymore. The mandates are lifted, but she felt like she was going to be chastised if she didn't wear one. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of see that fear, especially in younger kids. Yeah. And, and we actually touched on this in the episode I did last week with Dr. Nicole from Robin Hood. We talked about the biggest problem being she, her biggest fear is not COVID for kids. It's this mental health over like for so many reasons, the mental health challenges that we're that we are facing from isolation, from covering half of our faces all the time and so forth. So um Thank you for sharing that, Hank. Um, I would, I'm excited. My favorite part is that you have recently launched something brand new, a business called Hank's Hats, or is it Hank Hats or Hank's Hats? Uh, Hank Hats. Hank Hats, I'm sorry. And I have the privilege of owning one, and so does my husband, and um, Wiggy was out chopping wood in his, and apparently it's like a forest theme anyway, so cute, but, um, and I would love for you to tell us about how Hank Hats came to be and what your goals are for the future. 
So it's kind of an interesting story. Um, it all started from a gift I had received for Christmas. Um, my mom bought me this uh, knitting loom with a hand crank because she thought, you know, it, this would be something that he could do really easily. Um, and I, I made a few hats on it and then she posted them on her Facebook and it just, it blew up. People, people were asking, oh man, oh, I, I really want to get one of these hats. How do I buy it? And so I started making more and more and then it just kept on growing from there. And then I kept on thinking, you know, what, what good can I do with this? You know, what, what can I give back to people? And I, one of my goals is to help kids like me with spinal cord injuries and, and adults too. But, um, so I want to talk about some of the struggles we went through after rehab. So for Medicaid, there is a three month waiting period to get coverage for um, nursing care, home modifications and accessible vehicles. Um, for some reason, Medicaid thinks that a young kid like me can make a miraculous recovery in three months time. So for those first three months, we had to pay out of pocket for an accessible van that was thousands of dollars nursing, um, home mods, and it was, it was a struggle to get what we needed. And part of what I want to do is bridge that gap for people. So my, my goal for the future is to buy a fleet of accessible vans, um, with the profits that I made and, and lend them to people who are coming straight out of rehab because you need to have an accessible vehicle, especially that first year, because I was having two to three doctor's appointments a week and we had to have some way to get there. Mm -hmm. But also nursing care is very important. Um, especially if this, say this was an adult who lived completely on their own, maybe they don't have family that can come to take care of them. They need that nursing care right away. And so if I can alleviate the stress for people and help them get the things that they need, then that's what I want to do. That's awesome. I love that. Now, I know you've been busier than you can handle. I, I intentionally waited a while because I, I saw like everybody bombarding you and you had to cut off orders for a while. And then we had a window to be able to order ours, which I'm so glad we did. But it seems like maybe the hand loom is becoming a little overworked at this point, right? And so from what I understand, you and your mom have been talking to some um, maybe manufacturers and those people that have experience in this type of industry as far as how this can go to the next level. I know you probably can't talk specifically yet, but can you give us just kind of an overview on that? So yes, I have been talking to um, some manufacturers and some other business owners to kind of 
help get some guidance on how we get this business started up. And I'm in the process of looking for a more cost-effective way to produce these hats. Um, I'm looking at possibly getting an industrial knitting machine pretty soon. Um, and also outsourcing some yarn uh, made in the US. Um, it's, it's, it's really overwhelming right now, just trying to get everything figured out and getting the timing right. But, um, we're, I'm, I'm working hard. I'm going to get there eventually. Yeah. Um, we have a website in, in development right now. Um, and then I'm also going to uh, get some training to learn how to use this industrial machine. That's awesome. Well, we're all so very proud of you and this new endeavor. And I love your heart behind it too, because that matters even more. And, um, and sorry, back to school. So after some of those incidents, I, I meant to recap this back then. I'm sorry. We were talking about school and the mask issues. And um, after Hank left the public school, he came and gave a very compelling argument to our local school board. You're the only student there that night. And I mean, there was great applause in the room from both sides of the issue. And I, I sincerely hope that you were heard, even though I know we're not, we're, our, our um, district is still wearing masks. Hopefully that will end soon. But after that, you came home to homeschool, right? With you and your sister. And that's given you some time freedom to be able to pursue this new business too, which is really exciting. And, and I would argue ordain that it gives you that bit of freedom to get your studies done and also to work on, on developing and growing your business. So that's really exciting. Um, as we close, are there any just final thoughts that you want our listeners to take away to understand who you are, your story, what you stand for, and how we can love and support um, those with, with injuries like yours? Um, I think, you know, the main thing is realizing that even, even people with disabilities have just as many opportunities as someone who's able-bodied does. And, um, you know, if you see someone in a wheelchair, go up to them. Don't be afraid to talk to them. Um, because even though they may not be able to walk, they still have a voice. Absolutely. And um, for anyone else who's struggling, out there i learned a new word this morning it's uh in uh in, in Tlecky, um which means to realize your your potential and you have to work for it you can have a vision but if you don't have follow through then it's just a vision so if you if you have a dream and you want to make it happen, just know you have to put in the work. 
Right. We got to put in that work. Well, Hank, I'm so grateful to you for joining us today and for sharing your story. It takes a lot of courage to do these kinds of things. And I think that um, that's our word of the year in our Saunders household is courageous. And you certainly embody that in so many different ways. And I'm so grateful for you joining us today to share your story. Thank you. Thank you.